Wildfire Podcast is an extension of Wildfire, which has a focus of igniting men and women of God into a deeper discipleship with Christ, instilling people with a passion to radically and relentlessly pursue Christ wherever that leads, that God's truth will spread like a wildfire. Hey everyone, how's it going? So, welcome to another video. Today we are going to be talking about translations, okay? This is uh, a a topic, I don't know, depends on what sphere you're from, uh, where there's questions as to what's the right translation? Is there a right translation? Is there a translation that is more accurate than another? Uh, Should there be a translation that is used universally by the church on a global international scale? So these are questions that we want to answer uh, in this video uh, and we just want to have some clarity by the end of it as to what is the correct translation if there is one. The angle to which I'm going to come at this is that, uh, which is something I find is is propagated, is that the King James Version is the most accurate version and that that is the one that should be used. But simply because of the archaic language that is used, we don't use it. And so you feel a sense of guilt is that I don't really understand the writing, but apparently it's the most uh, it's the most accurate translation. And so you're left in this in this point of uh, of instability you don't know what's right you don't know what's wrong and so you don't know how to resolve it uh, but the whole point is that we're going to say that the king james version is not actually the most accurate one rather there's a broad a broad range of translations that can be used by christians today that preserve the integrity of of scripture and allow true exegesis and expository teaching to take place point number one again is the angle of the king james version is that arguments that they say is that other translations simply detract away from God's truth. They diminish God's truth. They dilute God's truth. Uh, they diminish the authority of, of the Bible. And of course, um, <laughs> a lot of translations don't do this. However, this is something that we can all have universal agreement on. Anything that's going to dilute scripture, detract away, diminish it, destroy the integrity of the passages in question, then of course we don't accept we don't accept that. But the King James Version, along with other passages, does not do that. Point number two uh, that people bring up is that uh, people who come up with these modern translations are simply immoral. Uh, they don't have a good standard of of morality. However, this, <laughs> this, this argument simply subverts itself because we're dealing with humanity. So by that same logic, if you're saying that because they're sinful, they can't then write uh, uh, or formulate a, a new translation, then we sort of can't use the Bible because it was formulated by the divine inspiration of God, but through sinful uh, sinful humans. And we see that even the King James Version, <laughs> it was also made by sinful, sinful humans. So you can't really use that because the reality is we're all immoral. We're all in need of grace and that's the whole point of whenever we repent, whenever we receive salvation and we walk uh, we walk in, in the righteousness of God, then God can use us and God can use us to formulate translations that actually have utility and uphold scripture. And so that is something that, again, needs to be applied to all translations. King James Version, NLT, NIV, ESV, all these translations need to be held to the same uh, criteria. The third is one of the main arguments that is used by people who say that the King James Version is actually the most accurate is because of the manuscriptal uh, history that is attached to it. So in order to understand why the KGV is propagated as one of the most reliable texts, we have to understand a bit of the history and how it used what's called the Textus Receptus. This simply means the received text and was given this name by the Elsevier brothers who coined this term in 1633 when they published uh, a new edition 
of this. It is important to first recognize that the Complutensian Polyglot was the first Greek New Testament to make it to the printing press, but was not published first. And the first Bible to be printed was the Gutenberg Bible, aka uh, the Latin Vulgate. This is the first English translation. But the Textus Receptus was the first Greek New Testament text to be published and printed. And this was championed by a gentleman called Herasimus. The Textus Receptus uses five editions of Herasimus. It also uses four editions of Stephanus, actually the first person to add chapters and verses. It also uses a 1598 number of editions from Baza. Now, Herasimus is a key figure in the development of the Texas Receptus Texas Receptus. He was the first person to actually get it published and printed, and many of his many of his editions led the groundwork for the likes of Stephanus and Baza, and later uh, people to come and add editions to it and simply refine and make it better. But the likes of Herasimus used a limited amount of manuscriptal texts. For example, Herasimus himself only used about ten to eleven Greek manuscript texts. He also had access to the Latin Vulgate and a commentary on Revelation. Now, the KGV architects used the Textus Receptus, most notably the likes of Baez's editions, Stephanus editions and Erasmus editions. The KGV which used the Textus Receptus was centred upon the Byzantine text tradition. And so KGV advocates assert that this is the most reliable text tradition. This is the most reliable Greek family, the Byzantine text tradition. But there are different Greek families of text tradition. These include the Alexandrian Greek families or the Caesarean Greek families. But the reality is the likes of Erasmus, who created the text Receptus, along with later editions of Stephanus and Baiza, had a limited number of manuscriptal texts. Erasmus, again, only had 10, 11, and used a commentary on Revelation, and also had access to the Latin Vulgate. But the reality is, we have significantly more manuscripts today. For example, Erasmus uses manuscripts that include 1 John 5, 6 to 8 where it says, testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and there are three that testify on earth. It is an example of words that have been added that don't show up in any Greek manuscript till the 14th century. There is only one Greek manuscript where the words show up. This is a scribal error based on a common scribal tendency to merge parallel passages. But the reality is, this includes a text that does not appear in the majority of Greek texts. In fact, it only includes, it only appears in one Greek text, which shows up later in the 14th century. And that's because the likes of Erasmus, who helped develop the Textus Receptus, had a limited number of manuscriptal texts that they could appeal to. So the idea that the KGV is the most reliable as it comes from the most reliable manuscriptal history and the most reliable Greek family text tradition, would reflect a faith assertion rather than the historical evidence of what manuscripts were, how they were transmitted, and the scribal variations between them all. God has left us a vast array of manuscriptal evidence that vastly agrees and has minute differences. Modern translations can appeal to a broad base of Greek texts, 
that is the eclectic text which we'll talk about whereas the kgv which uses the textus receptus did not have the same luxury that is not to diminish the beauty of the kgv but instead to ensure we don't in equal measure diminish the modern text and the authenticity and reliability of the manuscriptal text tradition that they appeal to for example if we give an analogy uh, a witness analogy if you were in a courtroom and 10 or 11 witnesses came and then you had another 6,000 witnesses came and argued the other side, which one are you more likely to go with, the 10 or 11 witnesses or the 6,000 witnesses? And that is the same here, the likes of Herasmus, Biza, Stephanus, who developed the text receptus that was then used by the KGV architects, had limited manuscripts that they could appeal to. Whereas we see modern translations can appeal to the discovery of the eclectic texts, they can appeal to over 6,000 thousand manuscripts thus proving that they are reliable and thus neutralizing the fact and the argument that the kgv comes from a more reliable manuscriptal history when we know that this is simply not correct when we look at the evidence and the reality is whenever this was formulated it became popularized uh, uh, in the 1600s and then it basically for the next two centuries became one of the most popular english translations English translations and is still one of the most popular translations especially within reformed communities uh, however whenever you find in the uh, 19th century around the 1800s uh, there was the discovery of what was called the eclectic texts uh, the eclectic texts and these are simply 5700 Greek manuscripts 5700 to 6000 original Greek manuscripts that were discovered basically uh, it's called the proximity test within history is that you have the original writers the the gospels for example matthew mark luke they wrote on a specific papaya uh, that simply could not be preserved uh, throughout history because of the papaya it was written on so and this is the same for all uh, history of antiquity you've got writings of aristotle and and caesar so then what uh, uh, you do is you take the original writings when was the the manuscripts written and how many manuscripts were there so the earliest the manuscript was written to the actual event in question and the amount of manuscripts then the more reliable something is so we see with regards to the bible that we have over 5700 greek manuscripts and if you take in comparison aristotle which again is heavily agreed scholars agree that this is very accurate they have eight to ten manuscripts in comparison to 5700 greek manuscripts and this is excluding like if you take total manuscripts there's 24,000 uh, manuscripts that come from uh, all different uh, languages not just the original greek language so reality is the bible passes with flying colors with regards to the proximity test there's over 24,000 manuscripts uh, and this was written uh, about a uh, people say 50 to 60 years before the actual event in question some scholars actually say earlier so the proximity test is uh, something that is uh, written earlier or the earliest it can be related to the actual event in question and has the most manuscripts is uh, the most accurate and this is something that all christians can rejoice in we have so much historical veracity to the claims that are made within christianity these are historical documents that can be attested uh, and and can be deemed definitely reliable with regards to the scholarly framework uh, that we have in in question so with all that said that narrative uh, modern translations can actually appeal to over 5,700 Greek manuscripts, 24,000 manuscripts in general. Uh, and uh, whenever you think of Erasmus, he only had 10 original Greek manuscripts. Uh, 
So to say that uh, or, uh, the King James Version was predicated upon a more accurate manuscriptal history uh, is just not accurate because the reality is modern translations today, especially with archaeological findings and technology and the eclectic texts, we literally have so much vast material and array of material that we can use to get the most accurate representation of what scripture was saying. And that's not being to say we eradicate the King James Version. No, it's just saying that you can't say the King James Version takes uh, primacy. Rather, all these translations, especially modern ones, actually can appeal to a broader, more accurate uh, manuscriptal history. So there are three points of contention that scripture is diluted, detracted, that there's questions of morality and uh, that the King James Version has a more accurate manuscriptal history. We've answered all those uh, objections and point uh, number four is what we want to talk about is that there is what is called formal and functional, uh, formal and functional uh, writing. You have the more formal language which goes word for word and then you have more functional writing functional writing which goes phrase for phrase and so that is what translations do today modern translations King James version went word for word uh, so that's if you think of it on a scale formal is here functional here you have the King James version it was written in a formal manner so it was written word for word for the Greek in the language of its time so 16th century uh, language uh, sorry, 17th century language of the time in the 1600s. Then you've got more modern translations. They then take a more functional approach, which is on this end of the scale, where they don't go word for word, but they go phrase for phrase, and they use the language of today in order to breed better understanding, uh, in order to understand that in the language as we know it today. And the reality is, on this scale, you've got you know, NLT down here at the more functional side. You then got the ESV uh, is up here in the formal. You've got the KGV up here in the formal. You've got the NIV, which is around the middle. Uh, so again, you've got this idea of that which is formal and that which is functional. We need to um, take in consideration uh, what the Bible says about do others what you would have them do to you, about love your neighbour as you love yourself, uh, and that we exhibit the same love that Jesus exhibited for us. And uh, so whenever we, we look, we empathise with people. What is our audience? So if you've got 10-year-olds uh, in front of you, a King James Version may be a little bit more difficult to grasp as opposed to another translation, a modern translation that operates within the functional aspect of, of things. And so you just have to gauge what is your audience and uh, what is the the translation that you should use that will that will simply just uh, benefit the person in question that will allow them to better understand God's word because that's that's what we need to understand. If uh, if you want to give a 10-year-old a KGV uh, Bible and also a KGV dictionary that allows them to understand <laughs> the words that are used in that, that's not going to be as good as, say, a translation that is simply just a little bit easier for them to understand and grasp whilst it still upholds all the same doctrinal truths. So we have to exercise wisdom, caution and understanding whenever we are deciding uh, these things. Another comment to, to make though about the accuracy of, of, uh, of recent uh, translations, again they appeal to a broader uh, scope of manuscriptal uh, evidence which again allows for textual criticism to flourish. Uh, so that is, how do we know what the words that we have today is the words that were used by Matthew. Again, with the proximity test, the amount of manuscripts have and the earliest source that we have helps. But textual criticism basically means that we can trace back to all the manuscripts and that we can get a, a more complete view of what 
the gospel authors were trying to say. And so I encourage you to re, uh, research a little bit more about the manuscriptural history and the textual criticism. It's it's very interesting. Uh, also with regards to the manuscriptural history of the KGV, uh, there's different Greek families. So you've got uh, the KGV, they operate within the Byzantine uh, text, uh, which was the 11 Greek manuscripts that Harasimus used. However, uh, that is not the only Greek family that exists that is within like uh, the the language that is that is being used. There is Alexandrian, uh, Caesarean. Uh, these are other Greek families that uh, modern translations appeal from. And you simply can't uh, say that this fam- this Greek family is better than this Greek family. Um, it's just not the correct way to go about things. Uh, so uh, point number four is basically understand that which is formal and functional, uh, understanding the importance of manuscriptal history, textual criticism, understanding all these different Greek families and how you can't uphold one higher than the other, rather take them all into consideration to get a more holistic, complete view uh, of, of the Bible. Point number five is then, are we given the authority to write translations? And uh, again, uh, if you don't believe this, then we can't have the, the Bible because uh, we can't have the, the KGV as a translation as well. But also we need to understand transmission. Uh, that is, we need to document, record, and uh, allow a progression to take place in order for uh, historical documents to be sustained uh, and uh, in order to you know, uh, examine the, ad- the attestation of said documents. Uh, are we given authority to then translate or transmit? Uh, and I believe that we are given implicit apostolic approval <laughs> because we see uh, that the original uh, Bible was written in uh, the, the Torah, the Tanakh was written in Hebrew. And then you then have the Masoretic texts, uh, which were uh, written in Aramaic. And then you have the the Old Testament was written in Greek, the Greek Subjugant. And then we then see the New Testament was written in Greek. Then we say that is then translated into the Latin Vulgate. So from the Greek to Latin. And then we see from Latin to English. So again, uh, it's just the, the evolution of, of writing and of language and how we need, uh, in order to understand something, we need to translate it in the language of today. Uh, and, and also ensure that we're not compromising on on anything, which is an important fundamental to to highlight and understand. So we are given implicit apostolic approval because the disciples themselves translated into Greek that which was spoken uh, in in Aramaic, uh, for example, or in Hebrew. Much the same uh, from the Latin to the Old English. That's what Erasmus done. Then we also see that from the Old English, uh, from the Old English to the modern language of today, we see that there is translation. So it's just this evolution that is progressive. There's nothing that is wrong uh, with with doing these things. Rather, it is a necessity in order to uh, maintain the historical documents, in order to maintain maintain the writings of of uh, God's word. So if we can wrap all that up and conclude it, because there's a lot in there, but I encourage you to go and seek secondary study on this, because this is just simply to, all these videos that I do are simply just to uh, provide a brief foundation that allows you to build uh, build upon these things. To summarise, we've came at this angle from like, is the KGV the most accurate translation? And we have argued that, uh, no, it's not, and that the arguments that they use, uh, we have addressed. Um, so... With that in mind, I'm just going to say then what is practically then what is the translations that we should be uh, we should be using. 
Well, we need to understand that translations should not dilute scripture, they should not diminish scripture, they should not detract away from scripture, they, they shouldn't diminish anything, they shouldn't diminish any of God's word, it should be upheld, and that uh, the inherency of God's word should be maintained. The authority of God's word, we should come with humility and respect and fear uh, when we are translating or tran- transmitting something that we maintain what God what God said. Also the morality, that is we are all sinful, we all need salvation and redemption and God has used us to advance his kingdom and a part of advancing God's kingdom is through translations and transmissions that that aid people in understanding more about the character of God whilst again not compromising on any doctrine or truth. Point number three is the manuscriptal history. Again, uh, so many of the modern translations, the most popular ones that are in circulation, they do have great manuscriptal history. That is, they appeal to the eclectic texts. Uh, they appeal to, again, these different uh, Greek families. Uh, and point number four is understanding there's formal and then there's functional. And we basically need to gauge our audience and have empathy on the other person. What is going to reap the most understanding? What uh, translation will I use that is going to reap the most understanding? And then point number five is that uh, basically we need to cross-track. Um, I recommend using different translations. I would use a, f- a functional translation and a formal translation. Uh, uh, my, my, my functional one would be the ESV and my formal would be the, the King James Version. So I would use both of these. And I basically just ca- cross-check uh, what God's Word is saying. Uh, and that way we can have a, co- a more complete, uh, holistic view of Scripture and that we can get the most accurate a representation of what scripture is saying but the whole point is that this is a good uh, a good debate to have that we have so much uh, accurate material so much uh, manuscripts we have so many translations and transmissions that are beneficial but there is transmissions uh, and translations that are simply just not they're not beneficial and we need to use our wisdom and our understanding to discern what those are and we need to respond accordingly. But there are just some brief points, uh, um, a, a historical <laughs> uh, understanding of the uh, what translations can be used, some practical tips, what I myself use. And again, just a foundation, go and research more. I'm still researching more. Again, for all of these videos, just a disclaimer, uh, that I just simply present that which I know now, uh, some of which can be refuted and be corrected. Uh, but I'm just pre- uh, just really recording videos that sort of present my thought process and how I'm responding uh, and how I am just learning and that uh, I'm bringing you along for the journey to learn with me. And I think that's something that we should all do. Uh, you shouldn't start where you should be, but simply start where you are. And then uh, you'll find that you make a lot of significant progress. So that's it for this video, guys. And I will see you uh, next time. Bye.